UCLA basketball begins their most crucial week of the regular season beginning this week. Let's talk about it on Locked On UCLA. Welcome, everybody. It's Zach Anders, I'm your favorite host and your diehard UCLA Bruins fan, D1 play-by-play broadcaster. Well, thanks for making it your first listen, Locked On UCLA. That is each and every day. It's free road. It's your podcast and it's available on YouTube. Thanks for your support. And most importantly, this episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. No intro this day because uh, with bad Wi-Fi becomes uh, a broken intro. So locked on UCLA, yada, 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 yada. Boom, there you go. There is your intro. And welcome back to Locked On UCLA. Lots has happened since we last talked to you a couple of days ago reacting to the men's basketball win. Women's basketball, men's basketball, football news. We're hitting it. Let's get right to it. UCLA men's basketball had a pretty interesting week. You took on a Utah team who was kind of surging, came off a loss against Oregon, and looked like maybe one of the top two teams that could compete in the Pac-12 with what the records were at the time, only for them to be without their leading scorer, and UCLA handles the Utes, and then the Utes go and lose to USC. Then the Bruins had to wait and take on Colorado on a rainy Saturday evening, early evening in SoCal out at the Poly Pavilion, and continued their dominant home ways. 25-1 and are the Bruins in their last 26 home games, and it's been quite a long time since they've lost with fans fully in attendance at Pauley Pavilion. So the Bruins, 13 in a row, have moved up to the top five after a couple of, couple of top 10 teams lose once or twice in UConn's case. So UCLA, based on the AP polls, mail in the Ken Palm rankings, and USA Today coaches poll, they're fresh on the verge of becoming a top seed in one of the four regions, preferably the West, unless something crazy happens. And UCLA's right there on becoming one of the top teams, if not the top two-loss team in the country, just below the Alabama Crimson Tide. So for UCLA, they sit here heading into a crucial week against Arizona, Arizona State. And arguably, based on what's happened lately with Arizona, you could argue that the Arizona State matchup might carry more weight than the Arizona game on Saturday. Either way... I think they average evenly, even though the Sun Devils aren't ranked and Arizona with their only two losses is still just outside the top 10 after their most recent loss. The Bruins sit here. If you go one and one, that can look good for your hopes. You go 0 and 2, that's going to drop you a seed line down and then two seed lines down, maybe from a two to a three, as opposed to moving to a two to a one if UCLA can win. Again, at the time of this recording of this podcast, there hasn't been any update necessarily on Amari Bailey's status, which will be crucial. If he's healthy or can contribute any part to UCLA's games this week against either ASU or Arizona, the Bruins will need it. Because against Colorado, UCLA showcased the ability to grind one out defensively and go on a big run, especially at home and from the Rockets' home environment and take down the Buffaloes against two teams in the Utes in Colorado who had some meat in the post that could have given UCLA some trouble. But Bona dominated Thursday against Utah with no big man and Brandon Carlson in the middle. And then Bona, while struggling a little bit on Saturday, got help from a variety of sources for the Bruins, such as Jalen Clark, who had 18, Jaime Hawkins Jr. with his 23 and 13, and then Tiger Campbell, who had 11 points, five boards, three assists, did a little bit of everything. So the Bruins show you in the last week why they can be caused, why there can be cause for concern heading into this Arizona week or even beyond into March, where they can go on long droughts offensively, where 
Some projections have the Bruins still losing five games by the time the regular season comes to an end, heading into Pac-12 play. And then there's reasons to say this is probably the best UCLA team since they've been to the Final Four before McCronin, way back to the Ben Howland days, and a team that went to the Final Four three years consecutively under Ben Howland. So there's good deficient offense coming off of that defense, and then there's times where the Bruins can just go absolutely because when you play Arizona State, you're not entirely sure what's gonna you're gonna get. An Arizona State team that is second behind UCLA in the Pac-12, the only team so far, which is one loss. They've had those wins in recent as well. But for UCLA, this is the toughest week forward. You will get Utah and Colorado again. You're gonna play Arizona, Arizona State at home. You do go to USC and Oregon, Oregon State, all that. But for UCLA, this is the week where you circled the Arizona game. And then you realize you had to draw an arrow back to Thursday and realize, all right, you have to circle that Arizona State game as well. A win in both games for Mick Cronin's bunch maybe solidifies them as a top four team. And considering how crowded it is from one through four, UCLA could win both games this week and maybe not even move up a spot depending on who does things between a Kansas, a Houston, up one and two. But for UCLA, it's important to note this is the week where people will have their eyes on the Bruins. They're starting to make some waves. You're on national television when you play Colorado. All right, not impressive in the first half, but then you take that big run and say, hey, every team this Saturday struggled, and the Bruins came away with a win, not falling like Arizona did. Then you move into the Arizona State game. Last year, remember, the Bruins, we were all ready for that Arizona game at Tucson. The Bruins fell at Arizona State in triple overtime, and that ASU team wasn't half as good, arguably, as this team is this year. And we'll get to more specifics and detail-oriented matchups closer to Thursday. But I just want to note, this is a very important week where ASU, if they hadn't lost to San Francisco on the road by 40 earlier this year, this could be a very well, this very well could be a top 20 matchup. The Bruins, number five, ASU, very well in the top 25. Either way, you take it for what it is. An Arizona team that comes in a little bit slumping coming in the last couple of games, last few weeks after taking a loss. But two opposite styles, you could say, with the Bruins more defensive-oriented. The Wildcats very much offensively slanted. But still, here we are, excited for the week to come. This is the movement week for UCLA's team overall. Is this the moment when they're shy? Is this when a Dan Bona solidifies himself as the Pac-12 freshman of the year with a big week in back-to-back games, considering he's been racking up past Pac-12 freshman of the week awards like no tomorrow? Is this where Jaime Hawkins Jr. solidifies himself as a big-time NBA prospect or just a wooden award finalist, maybe a wooden award winner if he goes crazy on this week? These are all chances for the stars, for the veterans, for the youth to step up. But most importantly, I think it comes down to the health of Amari Bailey. If he's available and set to go, it's been said. McCrone, it's not necessarily, uh, he's not really horrible at the outlook in terms of his injury. He says he should be coming back. It's just a matter of when is he healthy and is this the week for Amari Bailey to come back? Because as we saw, the Bruins could not get any bench production against Colorado. That is the biggest thing going forward. Can the Bruins get bench production from anybody coming off in their most recent game against Colorado? 68 points, all from their starters. No Zonka, no Andrews, no McClendon, Etienne, Nuba. None of those guys could score off the bench. 
And I've been an advocate fairly recently of Singleton staying in the starting lineup, even when Bailey is healthy and hopefully ready to go, which is how it probably might play out until Bailey's fully healthy. But UCLA needs some bench production. If you're going to go deep in March, you don't want to rely on just five players playing 32, 33 minutes a game. And I know rotations get cut, and they did get cut when UCLA got their final four run the first time and were just that close. One half-court prayer miracle in the final four from Jalen Suggs' heave against Gonzaga a couple years ago from playing for a national championship against the Baylor Bears. But again, for the Bruins, this is the week to assert your dominance and prove to the rest of the nation that this is a team to be beat, a team that, that just can't be beat, looking to get wins 14 and 15 in a row. But again, bench production and the health of Amari Bailey will be key. Well, we'll talk about more, including UCLA women's basketball, because they had a very interesting weekend indeed. Friday night against Stanford, Saturday, Sunday afternoon against Cal, and then what flipped the weekend on its head by a late upset from their crosstown rival. We'll talk about it after we tell you about LinkedIn Jobs. Yeah, LinkedIn Jobs. Here in 2023, if you're a small business owner or a hiring manager, you know that success in 2023 depends on the team members you surround yourself with. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire the qualified candidates you want more efficiently by matching the values, skills, and experience that will help your team reach its goals. Small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. They can screen candidates, rate applicants, and make your make your job fun. find the candidates, make it easier. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post that job for free. Your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash lockdown college. Post a job for free once again at LinkedIn.com slash lockdown college. Terms and conditions apply. No conditions apply as we move on to the second segment of Locked On UCLA. It's Zach Edders. Yaksam, everybody. Thanks for making Locked On UCLA your first listen each and every day. We appreciate your support. So now we're talking UCLA women's hoops here for this middle segment because the Bruins went one and one at a big showdown against the number two team in the country in the Stanford Cardinal. UCLA hung with them toe-to-toe with head coach Corey Close's team going back and forth against the Cardinal. Even though it had a, a loss against Oregon State, they were able to grind one out against USC the week before, and getting Charisma Osborne would have helped their hopes only for the Bruins, who are down early against Stanford, down big in the third, crawled themselves to within a basket heading into the fourth quarter, only to go ice cold in the fourth quarter and eventually losing 72-59. to The Stanford Cardinal, I believe, started that quarter either 13 or 15-0 to start the fourth. And the Bruins, they didn't score until under two minutes remaining in the fourth quarter. And by that time, the game was put to bed. Somewhat similar to what the Bruins faced when they were healthy and played South Carolina earlier in the year on the road when they had now faced the one and two teams in the country, especially at that time, only to watch the two players go off. Like you, like I said, the Bruins couldn't. You couldn't have Haley Jones go off and Cameron Brink go off. And the thing that really stuck out to me is when UCLA was struggling to shoot the basketball, they went in and drove again and again. When they could not shoot to save their lives, the Bruins, 9 for 27 for 3. Yes, not a bad percentage, but in the fourth quarter, UCLA ended up shooting 4 of 19, 21% from the floor. Zero free throws of the 10 they attempted the whole game happened in the fourth quarter. 
and Cameron Brink said, not in my house, blocked five Bruins shots in the fourth quarter alone compared to seven for the whole game, which is somewhat what happened against South Carolina when the Bruins couldn't get those open shots from deep or find the shot they wanted and just drove underneath the basket only for the big men or big women, I should say, just to swat it away in the post and say, not in my house, and Brink was not missing and not committing any fouls. What were the things that contributed to that UCLA loss? Well, again, another, you don't want to say poor performance for Charisma Osborne, considering she's playing banged up already, but Osborne, who had 13 points, hit the majority of her shots early in the game, including a couple of threes in succession in the second quarter, and then had an and one as well. She had 13 points and three steals, seven boards, but four of 18 shooting. Gina Conti and Emily Bissoir had better shooting numbers compared to the rest of the team, but again, alas, those two other players in double figures didn't do it, and those points didn't come when the game mattered late in the fourth quarter. Again, another key stat to look out for, the Bruins, with Brink dominating the paint, couldn't score. UCLA overall with points in the paint had 18. Stanford, with their players from Francesca Belibi, who was a big player down low, you have Jump, you have Brink, Jones, just all down the lineup. Stanford, if I could do my quick math here, had about 9 to 10 different players score one way or the other. 32 of their 72 came in the paint, which wasn't half their points, mind you considering they went 15 of 20 from the line, but 32 points compared to UCLA's 18 points in the paint, and you notice how UCLA lost by 13. Stanford's dominance in the paint, just like South Carolina's dominance in the paint, right, was the difference in the game. And with UCLA so young this year with a lot of their players outside of Osborne being young freshmen, this was a learning experience against the top team, who you might either have to face or get through to move to a Final Four, move deeper in the tournament. It was a good good growing experience. Well, then you flip to Sunday. Thinking, all right, how are they going to do against Cal, who most importantly nearly beat Stanford the previous week and took them on the brink alert 60-56 to loss against the Cardinals the week before? Well, the Bruins found themselves down big early. CLA at the end of the first quarter, had that fourth quarter woes continue. Cal was hot. They were leading 23-14 to 14 after the end of a quarter. And you're like, whoa, here we go again. But then UCLA crawled their way back, started hitting some shots against the Gold Bears. And the Bruins found ways to not only, one, be up by the be within a basket at the end of the first half, be up at the end of the fourth in a two-point game. And then heading into the fourth, after some collapses in the fourth quarter earlier this year, against top-tier competition where games were close, and the Bruins have, for the most part, put their opponents away. They did the complete opposite against Cal in this fourth quarter. After getting outscored at least 14-15 to against Stanford in that fourth quarter, the the previous game, when it was 21-10, to even the late Bruins points made that game close, UCLA put up 29 in the fourth quarter to put away Cal 87-70. to and who are the stars? Well, UCLA was able to get scoring from a variety of sources against Cal. Charisma Osborne shooting a much better percentage helped that with her 17 points on 15 shots, shooting 7 to 15. So nice to see her slowly getting into rhythm. But Kiki Rice, 31 minutes, put in 15 points, 12 assists, dishing the ball all around. UCLA had 22 shots on 30, uh, 22 assists, excuse me, on 31 made shots. You can't forget. Conti's 11, and then off the bench, London Jones was a factor. 
She had 22 against USC in that come-from-behind win. Against Stanford, London Jones was somewhat of a non-factor. Jones, 24 minutes, 2 of 8, 6 points, a few assists, a couple fouls, 2 turnovers. A very quiet night for London Jones. Well, against Cal, help igniting the rally. She had double figures off the bench, which was key because sometimes UCLA doesn't know where to get their scoring from if it isn't Osborne setting up and creating her own shots to get the Bruins some key buckets and key moments. So UCLA, watching them from one game to the other, learning their lessons, albeit different competition, I'll give you that, coming through and getting the complete opposite fourth quarter, showing, hey, in a close game, they were down the whole game, they exploded and put the game to bed, winning this by 17. And then funny enough, cross town, you don't want to give them any respect, but hey, USC went and beat Stanford by nine. So that makes UCLA's wins against USC that much better, considering they've already swojins in January, December. And that also makes you think, well, Stanford's beatable. UCLA's got to play Stanford February, February 20th at Maples Pavilion on a Monday night, which should be also watched to see what adjustments the Bruins and Coach Close can make heading to that second matchup and see in a Pac-12 conference. Because of UCLA's loss, they dropped to number nine, just behind Utah at number eight in the top 25. There are six teams in the Pac-12 that are ranked in the top 25. That is tied for the most teams of any conference ranked in the top 25. I believe it's either the Big Ten or the ACC. I forget off the top of my head. Either way, UCLA, they're sitting their number nine, just behind Utah, who's eight, and they'll have to go take on the Utes in Arizona and Oregon again, who's ranked. And, you know, Cal's close, and they've been scrappy these last few games. They're not even one. They're one in five in Pac-12 play. USC just beat Stanford for the first time in eight to nine years, and they're not even ranked, and the Bruins had to scrap to beat them twice. So at a very competitive conference, UCLA can maybe slide themselves personally up to a two. That's as high as I think UCLA, the women, can get this year. But you want to not have to go through a top-four seed until at least in the lead eight. You don't want to get pushed down to a four or five and put yourself in a more hostile environment on the road. Maybe if you do it horribly, you have to go through South Carolina on the road in a sweet 16, a lead eight battle. The more you win, the more you can compete in this Pac-12 conference. You can move from that three to a two, or dare I say it, maybe even a one if you can get things going in your way and host in a first couple of rounds and not go on the road down the line into tougher, tougher places. Either way, it's good to see UCLA getting wins and moving forward with some good results. So it was interesting to see how the fourth quarter exploded and how things changed considering Stanford moved from the two spot to the four spot after losing their second game this season on the road to an unranked USC. So those will be things to keep forward going forward. Keep in mind when going forward for the UCLA women. And end this podcast as we move forward from men's and women's basketball. We're going to talk a little bit about football recruiting news, but not before we can talk about Bet Online, which is your number one source for all your sports betting information, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends from every professional and amateur league out there. Pro football, the playoffs are going. You got basketball, NBA action. They've got it all with BetOnline.net. If you love sports podcasts, you can find it as well at BetOnline. Just look up your fastest and easiest ways to get your sports betting information with BetOnline and the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts, where it starts. And where this third and final segment ends here with Locked On UCLA, I'm thinking, let's talk football. The portal closes in a couple days. 
and UCLA, while they've already feasted, and depending on which composite ranks you want to use for rankings, whether it comes to top 25 classes, when it comes to class of 23 recruits, transfer portal gets UCLA, who just got J. Michael Sturdivant, makes them into a top 10 transfer-ranked class. Not even a top five anymore, but they've been moved to a number eight spot, depending on which composite rankings you can get. This is what I thought. One, UCLA just got a transfer O-lineman, which is Caleb Walker out of the College of the Sequoias, who if you look at, I was looking at 24-7 sports-ranked composite, ranked as a three-star Juco recruit. So as I mentioned, UCLA, beyond their need for defense, gets an offensive lineman who, all right, that's a good get, 6'5", about 285, might need to bulk up a little bit to get into the starting rotation for the Bruins, but a good get considering they offered him on January 13th or 14th, and then he committed the next day. Hasn't signed anything yet, but he's committed to become a UCLA Bruin as UCLA continues to fortify that offensive line already with a couple of recruits, some preferred walk-ons, and then now getting this guy committed through a scholarship from transferring from the College of the Sequoias, a Visalia native coming to UCLA as they try to make sure the offensive line is good to go in front of the quarterback, considering they need to make the holds for the running backs. Got to get the quarterback upright, whether it's Dante Moore, College Lee, Garbers, whoever it is. Got to keep them upright, considering they got J. Michael Sturdivant coming in. Could they get in the portal before it closes, at least in the early window, a Gary Bryant Jr., who at this point has not had any places in terms of, I looked at crystal ball predictions every which place, not really tying him to any place. The USC receiver who went in the portal, redshirted this season, and is looking for a new home. Some people are linking UCLA to him. Is that the next receiver UCLA wants? They already got one out of the portal from the Pac-12. Can they steal one more before heading to the Big Ten, albeit with SC, in their final year heading to the Pac-12 and give whatever quarterback it is a plethora of options out wide and in the backfield? That's one option. Two, defensively, I know Caleb Wilson on Twitter, former Bruin, former, maybe, I'm not sure if he's a former NFL player, NFL free agent, as he says on his Twitter, does the best throwing out guys. Here, UCLA needs this guy. He needs this player. Keanu Williams, a four-star defensive lineman for Oregon who only played in about 10 career games as an Oregon Duck. He was a former Mario Cristobal recruit, then played in his first official year as an Oregon Duck, not including the red shirt, under Dan Lanning. And he had like five tackles, a tackle for a loss, not too many tack, too, not too many stats overall in his about 10 career games. He's a four-star defensive lineman from the class of 21 who still has three years of eligibility. And if he fits the mold of what Chip Kelly likes in a recruit, could maybe bolster, as Caleb Wilson says, got to give him credit because he loves throwing out guys left and right who UCLA should get either as, he should either be a recruiting analyst of some sort for UCLA or get on the staff some way for Chip Kelly because he throws guys all the way on Twitter every single time as, you know, maybe Williams can fit that mold as an interior defensive lineman, which UCLA desperately needed help with on the interior defensive line to stop, sometimes stop the run, get pressure up the middle, whatever it is, you got to bolster the defense from the front seven to the secondary. Either way, UCLA can go in the portal, try and get a receiving threat. They can still try and go get, as I mentioned, Keanu Williams, that's a defensive line get. And still, Roderick Pleasant, I'll continue to mention him. He's not a transfer. He's got a class of 23. A true freshman he would be coming in. Has UCLA in his top five and his final five, whatever you want to call it. And he's available for UCLA to go get. So the Bruins are very much, I don't have the bag with me, go get the bag, throw it at him, and say, hey, come to UCLA. We just need all the defensive recruits 
we can to get talent on the defensive side of the football. And then maybe whatever scheme Bill McGovern can compile, conduct, whatever in this final year of his contract in the 23 season can be something representative of a UCLA defense that UCLA fans have been waiting and waiting and waiting for years to come. Again, the portal's only open for a couple more days before it closes and opens up back, I believe, in May. So for now, the fun and the craziness will close beyond just a couple of exceptions when it includes the FCS transfers and the grad transfer and anything crazy things. The portal will close on January 19th near the end of this week, and we'll be excited for it either which way. So expect a lot of more, you know, crazy news to come over over the next few days before it quiets down and we're just focused strictly on UCLA basketball and softball and baseball starting pretty soon as we get excited for that. In the meantime, UCLA fans, thanks for tuning in to Locked On UCLA and making it your first listen each and every day. It's free wherever you get your podcast and it's available on YouTube. Like, comment, and subscribe. Go make Locked On College Basketball. You know, you want to get your news and notes ready for your brackets in March. Locked On College Basketball. Make that your second listen today. It's a good show. Andy Patton, Isaac Shade. I've been on that show once or twice. It's a fun time. Go check it out. Locked On College Basketball. In the meantime, Bruins fans, you know how to end this show. Eight clap time, baby. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You see L.A. You see L.A. Fight, fight, fight. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We're excited here on Locked On UCLA. This has been Locked On UCLA. Go Bruins.